If you have a Bible with you today, we'll be looking at the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, you should be able to find a text in your order of worship, or you can use your phone or anything else you'd like. So I say to you, hear the word of God. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would come and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you would encourage those who are are downhearted. I pray that you would uh, lift up those who feel uh, crushed down. I pray that you would convict those who need to be convicted. I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. So I think this is the sixth in our uh, series in Galatians for the summer. So I'm going to open this morning with a question, as I often do. And so the question is basically this. What kind of arguments do you find most interesting? So think about it for a second. What is an argument? An argument at at its sort of fundamental level is one person trying to persuade another person of something. Right? And they're using evidence, generally speaking. So what kind of arguments do you actually enjoy watching? Like, I was thinking about it. You know what kind of arguments I love enjoy watching? I love watching when an umpire makes a bad call and a baseball manager runs out on the field and kicks dirt on his shoes. <laughs> He's arguing. He's making a case. That was a bad call. You need to change it. And you, guess what? You can't change it. But it's fun to watch, isn't it? And as bad as it would be to get hit by a pitch at 90 miles an hour when someone does get hit and they rush the mound, I sort of like watching those arguments too. See, so, so if you think about it, arguments really are at the center of everything. If you ever watched a crime show, Law and Order, something like that, right? Who doesn't love watching a, a, a good argument where someone, you're persuaded and then maybe the defense comes in and persuades you again. You're listening, you're interested. Now, you know the kind of arguments that, that interest all of us more than any other arguments? It's arguments that are, are, are about us, right? Can you, I don't know about you, but can you remember when you were a kid and your parents argued over you? Like, what punishment should Tommy get? It seems like that argument went off in times at our house. And because it had to do with me, I'm standing at the door always with it cracked. What is, how is this going to turn out? Because whatever the, the, the outcome of this argument is going to affect my life forever, or so I thought. Now, here's the thing. If that's true, and, and if you would agree with me on that, every one of us should be extremely interested in the New Testament, especially the letters of Paul, because the letters of Paul, almost inevitably, all of them are arguments And all of them are arguments that have to do with us, right? The outcome of Paul's arguments in all of his letters ultimately have to do with our lives. They affect our lives, and they they would affect the lives of the church for for the past 2,000 years. And especially in the book of Galatians, Paul is making an argument. 
And so the argument up to this point in the book of Galatians, if you remember, Paul had planted this church, and after planting this church in Galatia, he planted it basically saying, all right, here's the deal. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Don't add anything. Just stay out of trouble until I come back. Agitators came in and said, oh, no, 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 no. That Paul, he's not any good. He's not even a real apostle. He probably got the gospel from James and Peter, and they, always, they think circumcision is important, so you need to add circumcision. Paul hears about this, and he writes a letter, and in the letter is his argument against these agitators. In other words, he's, it's Paul against them, and it involves the church, And so the arguments that Paul is going to make, he makes the arguments, and then what he inevitably does, because it's a letter, is he he anticipates what the objections will be to his arguments, and then he answers them. Because remember, these letters were read in church, and if Paul just said his argument without any anticipation of what the objections would be, then people could stand up behind him and say, well, here's this objection. And the church would wonder, well, who's right? Well, Paul wants to make sure everything's nailed down solid. And so on one hand, he makes an argument, and then he, he anticipates objections, and then he answers the objection. So as we consider today's text, which, by the way, um, Martin Luther and John Calvin said is the most important text in the whole New Testament, so I didn't feel any pressure at all this week. Um, basically, what we're going to do is Paul is going to... He, last week, he made an, an argument... And the argument Paul made last week was that if you read, if you want to read in verses 15 and 16, he said, we ourselves are, not, are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Remember, he's talking about Peter. He had to confront Peter. And he says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That's probably the main argument in the whole book of Galatians, that by works of the law, no one will be justified or be made right with God. There's no amount of works we could do. There's no amount of goodness we could provide that it's either Jesus saves us or we are not saved at all. That's what Paul would say. That's his argument, that works of the law cannot save us. And today's text, what we're going to look at is Paul's, he's going to anticipate the objection to that argument and answer it. And I think he's going to answer it pretty soundly. So this morning, we're basically going to look at three things. Three things we're going to look at this morning are an objection, an obituary, and an opinion. So we're going to first consider the, the objection. And the way Paul answers the objection is with an obituary. And at the end of all of it, he actually gives his opinion, which keep in mind when we're talking about this, when an apostle gives his opinion, it's really sort of fact. But the way it sounds, it's like, hey, here's the deal. So what's the objection that Paul, that Paul is going to address first? Notice in verse 17, he says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. So if you, it, it, that verse is a little easier, I think, to understand if you replace lawbreakers with the word sinners, or replace the word sinners with lawbreakers. So if he said... Um, if we endeavor to, in our endeavor to be justified by Christ, we too were found to be lawbreakers. 
is Christ then a servant of lawbreakers? In other words, remember, if what the, the objection that he's anticipating is just this, is they're saying, oh, if Paul says that grace is free, that it's Jesus plus nothing, but then the law doesn't matter. And if the law doesn't matter, then people could do whatever they want. In other words, he is based, the, the, the answer, the argument that he's, objection that he's anticipating is this, that if you just say, tell everyone that their sins are forgiven, past, uh, present, and future, they're just going to go around sinning all they want and not care about anything. That they're going to just go out and go crazy and go sinning, and people would say, what are you doing? And they would say, well, I'm already forgiven. doesn't matter. In order, so, the, so the objection that he is, he is anticipating here is the objection that if grace is free, and that means people, then people don't have to obey the law, then they're just going to be lawbreakers. And so Jesus is actually a servant of lawbreakers and not a savior. That it's Jesus' fault that everyone is sinning and not anyone else. And Paul's answer to that in the Greek, you know, I don't, I, I have to watch my language. Um, he says, certainly not. Let's just say the Greek is a little bit more strong than that. Let's say the Greek is significantly more strong than that. That Paul wants to make a point. Oftentimes when preachers want to make a point, they cuss. I'm not going to do that. But just raising you, getting you to the edge of your pew is enough. <laughs> Paul says, <laughs> or if, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are to be found sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. No, he is not a servant of sin. Basically, in the answer to the objection that, that um, if grace is true, does that mean we just go around sinning all we want and nothing matters? And Paul says, absolutely not. But what's interesting here is, is this is often the charge in churches that preach grace. Martin Lloyd-Jones was probably the most famous preacher of the 20th century at Westminster in England. And he said one time, and he actually wrote one time, that if you're a preacher and people don't occasionally accuse you of, of being lawless or, or, or accuse you of making the gospel too free or accuse you of saying if, if, if you make it that free, people are just going to be, be, go crazy. He said, if that doesn't happen to you, then you're probably not preaching the gospel. That's how free it is. That people should almost be shocked that, that all you do is trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And honestly, I've been accused of that occasionally. So every time I'm accused of that, I actually go, all right, maybe I'm doing the right thing. So where does Paul go from here? Right? So the, the objection that he's anticipating is that if grace is free, everyone can just do whatever they want. And notice he says in verse 18, he actually tells them the real problem. So first thing he does before he tells them how the, the, this is not true, he actually tells them what the real problem is. So the, the, the anticipated objection is that if grace is true, everyone's just going to go around sinning and it's going to make Christ a servant of sin. And Paul said the real problem is the exact opposite thing. Notice in verse 18, he says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, what Paul is saying is the real problem isn't that we misunderstand grace and go around sinning. He says, at least if you're a Christian, the real problem is that you misunderstand grace and you start adding things to it. Right? He says, if, if I rebuild what I tore down, right, the law was torn down. Paul never says, by the way, that the law is a bad thing. He just says it can't save you. And what was torn down, in Paul's gospel at least, was the law as a means of saving us. 
And he says, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. That's the real sin. The real sin, the worst sin, the, the sin that is not as obvious, but it's more insidious, is misunderstanding grace and starting to add things to it because you think that's what's going to please God. When in fact you are free. You know, I was thinking this morning, this song, remember uh, And Can It Be? The song, verse 4 of And Can It Be says this. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I can read it without singing it, right? Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Remember that? Right, then what, what comes next? Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. So in that hymn, right, we, we get a picture of what the gospel does to us, right? The, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free, and I rose, and I followed thee. And what Paul says, it is a worse sin to put those chains back on than it is to go crazy with the chains off. In other words, what Paul is saying is to, it, it, the worst sin is actually to be freed from your sins by Jesus, to be freed from works of the law as a means to being saved, and then you chain yourself back up. Right? So instead of saying, uh, the chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee, right? we'd have to add a verse after that. Right? I, I, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Then I started thinking right, and, and realized that I might not really be in, and so I started to do all these works to pay for my own sin. And that's bogus. It is completely bogus, Paul says. So not only... Does the gospel not make you want to sin more? But, but by adding things to the gospel, that is actually a bigger sin. And the worst thing is it doesn't feel like sin. It feels like you're actually doing something good for Jesus. And adding things is taking away from the gospel. So what is the actual answer to this objection? The answer to the objection that Jesus, if you just, it's all grace, then nothing else matters, right? That you do what you want. And Paul's objection to that is twofold. His answer to that, it's an, it's an obituary that's twofold. And the first part of the obituary is this. Verse 19, Paul says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. So the first thing Paul says is, Through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Now, that's an, there's an important nuance there that you might miss. He, Paul doesn't say, Through the gospel I died to the law. He didn't say, through the gospel, I died to the law. He says, through the law, I died to the law. Now, why is that an important distinction to make? It's because you remember the law had all these laws, but the law also determined punishments for the laws. And remember that the law said, among other things, the Mosaic law, cursed is everyone who doesn't do everything written in this book. In other words, if you don't obey all of the law, the, the punishment for that is to be cursed, to be, to, to be cast out forever, to, to hell, whatever, however you want to put it. And so Paul says, according to the law, I died to, to the law. The, the curse of the law was born out. And the, here's why that's so important. Because as long as you are alive to the law, it can still make demands on you. As long as you are alive to the law, you, you still will go to your dying bed and you'll have to be constantly looking over your shoulder, wondering if you did enough. But if you're dead to the law, the law can't make any claims on you. 
I mean, think about it. If the law was a person, in the, you know, like Jobert in, in, in uh, what, where's Jobert in? Uh, Les Mis, right? That he's chasing you around constantly. Once you're dead, there's nothing else to chase. And Paul says that I died through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. So part one of Paul's obituary is I died to the law. Now part two is even more interesting because he tells how he died to the law and ultimately how we died to the law. What does he say? And that's this famous verse, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what is Paul saying here? He basically is saying this, that when, when the cross happened, when Jesus died on the cross, there were actually four things nailed to the cross. Okay, the first thing that was nailed to the cross was Jesus. Well, we know that obviously Jesus was nailed to the cross. Um, the second thing that was nailed to the cross was what? A sign? Remember what the sign said? King of the Jews, right? The Jesus, King of the Jews. The third thing that was nailed to the cross was the debt of our sin. He says that in Colossians, that the debt of our sin that was held against us was nailed to the cross. And now get ready for this. The fourth thing that was nailed to the cross? You were. I was. Paul was. Paul says, I, was cruci- I am crucified with Christ. And because of that, it is no longer I who live. Now, here's the thing. Theologians for 2,000 years have called this doctrine union. And it, it, our union with Christ. You hear me talk about it at the Lord's table. Our communion. In, in other words, why is union so important? Because when we talk about justification or being made right with God, it, it's not only being forgiven from our sins, which we are. And it is not only being completely given the righteousness of Christ, which we are. So that when God looks at you now, you are as righteous in his sight as you will ever be. But here's a third aspect to it that is incredibly important. It, it takes it out of the realm of paperwork and into the realm of reality. That when Jesus was on the cross on our behalf, God reckoned it as if you and I were actually there. So it's not as if he's going to say, you know, well, your paperwork says this about you. But now that I think about it, you weren't really there. And what Paul says, and this is a mystery, but the mystery of the union of Christ is that God reckons us not only to be forgiven in Christ, not only to be made right with Christ, but when Jesus goes to the cross, it is as if we were actually on the cross with him. Whatever happens to Jesus happens to us. You ever, if you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because this is always embarrassing. How many of y'all have seen the, the movie E.T.? Right? Remember Elliot? E.T. is one of the most profound movies I think that has ever been made. Because do you remember what happens in E.T.? E.T. meets Elliot. And Elliot and E.T. at some point, they, they are joined together. They are in union together so that no matter what happens to Elliot, happens to E.T. And what happens to E.T. happens to Elliot. And remember that it makes for some great scenes because Elliot's at school and E.T. finds a six-pack of beer at home. <laughs> remember E.T. Gets, gets drunk at home and Elliot starts sliding out of his desk at school and the teacher doesn't know what to do. But worse, remember toward the end when E.T. starts to die, what happens? Elliot dies. Sorry, spoiler alert. Here's an even bigger spoiler alert. When E.T. raises from the dead, guess what happens? Elliot raises from the dead. 
You see, what the gospel says is that if Jesus was crucified, you were crucified. And if Jesus is risen from the dead, you also are raised, not will be, although that's true, but you are raised right now. You are raised from the dead. In other words, so Paul's obituary is not just an obituary, but it is also a birth announcement. And what the birth announcement says is that you have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live. And notice what he says. He said, I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. You see, Paul's answer to the fact that if grace is true, you can just go out sinning is just this, that if I am completely united to Christ, I'm a completely different person. Why would I want to go around sinning? Why would I want to go around doing things that displease God when I'm actually united to the very person who saved me? That the gospel has changed me. And, and if you, so if your attitude is, you know, I'm a Christian, but I can just go around and do anything I want. It doesn't really matter. You might want to reevaluate whether or not you really understand the gospel. And you might want to make it more personal. I love what Paul does at the end here of that verse. He says, it is no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, in different places in the New Testament, Paul, Paul could have said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved the world and gave himself for the world. He could have said, I I live by faith in the Son of God who loved the nations and and gave himself for the nations. He could have said, who loved the church and gave himself for the church. But Paul, this doctrine of union is so important. Paul says, he who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, here's the question. Can you say that? When you think about the gospel, do you think of it in terms of, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me? A lot of people in church live vicariously through other people. You know, I remember, like, you know one person who didn't believe that was my grandmother. My grandmother was Serbian Orthodox, off of the boat. And I remember when people would ask her sometimes, I called her memes. Memes. They said, memes? Are you a Christian? You go to church with Tommy? And she'd say, oh, no, my boy's a preacher. He's got me covered. And I'd say, I'd say it doesn't work that way, memes. And she'd say, oh, say it. I'd leave for church. And she'd say, say a prayer for us sinners. She'd yell as I was leaving. And it would break my heart because you know what? Having a son that is a preacher does not mean that you understand that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. You might have been a member of our church for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And if you have never thought or said to yourself, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, would you think through that and say that today? Because until you start thinking that and saying that, you really won't have life change. I may have mentioned this before. You know, I, I, I'm glad that, you know, after 30 years of being a Christian, I still have these moments of thinking, wow, why didn't I ever think of that before? You know, every morning, probably about five mornings of the week, you know, I pray, I have a, a long prayer list and I pray confessions. The confessions we use in church, for years, I've just read through those, read them, confess my sins, and Lord, thanks. And I don't know what made me start doing this, but I thought, you know, in church, we do an assurance of pardon. Why don't I do it in my just by myself. And so now if you look at my prayer list, it'll have a confession, and at the bottom of it, it is also written, my name, Tommy, you are forgiven. Tommy, you are accepted of Christ. Tommy, you are no longer an orphan. And I'm amazed at how many times that just wrecks me. Right there, before I ever get onto the scripture reading all these other things, just knowing that I am accepted in Christ, reminding myself of that every morning has been life-changing for me. Is it life-changing for you? 
Do you know that you're accepted in Christ because you are actually in Christ? Let's, let me move on here. Basically, um, Paul basically comes at the end and he says, verse 21, he gives this opinion. Now, by the way, remember I said, if an apostle says it, it's a fact, but the way Paul says it, it's almost an opinion. It's almost as if he throws it in here, I think. Notice verse 21. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. And I, he, what he means, I do not nullify the grace of God by saying it's not by the law, but only by faith in Christ. But it says that for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In other words, if your works matter, if, 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 if your goodness matters, if your Bible reading can save you, if going to church can save you, if doing good works can save you, then Jesus died for nothing. And there's only two, two ways. Either, either Jesus, you, you say he loved me and gave himself for me, or you say my works will what save me. Which of those two will you leave here with this morning? Which of those two will you have confidence with this morning? Because remember when Paul says, I live my life by faith in the Son of God. You see, the way we, we, have it, we, the way we become Christians is we have faith in Jesus, right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The way we, that we live as Christians is the same exact way. In other words, do we believe that Jesus is going to finish the job or not? Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father... I pray that as we consider this book of Galatians that you would continue to hammer on us that it is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that when we try and add our works to the law, when we try and add our goodness, when we try and add uh, all these and anything, that it actually is a step backwards, not a step forward. Help us to understand what it means to be in union with Christ, not only uh, in his crucifixion, but even now as he sits on the throne. That, that In Ephesians, Paul says that we sit with him, that we reign in heaven with Jesus right now. I pray that we would live as conquerors, being able to say greater is he who is in me than he is in the world. Uh, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen.